0: Happy Monday, Monday, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Women Effect podcast. I am your host, Chris Ross, and if you're new to us, welcome. I am incredibly grateful that you're joining us for the first time. The outcome that we're after on each episode of this show is to introduce you to as many people as we cross paths with to inspire and to help you, our listeners, to manifest anything you want out of life. How we go about achieving this is one heartbeat, one mission, one outcome, That's success. Our special guest for today is an award-winning author of the book, Sell More with Sales Coaching, Perry Sean. You may have read some of her articles in Selling Power, Salesforce.com, Entrepreneur Magazine, Sales Marketing and Management Magazine, Inc., National Post, and Forbes. If you've been tuning in for a while now for our show, there's a good chance you've heard Wes Bays and I, in the first couple seasons, talk a lot about the neuroscience and the psychology behind sales which makes us even more excited to share the conversation when we talked a lot about how she teaches and coaches sales VPs and her teams how to coach, increase sales, and improve the client experience. Her company, the Coaching Sales Institute, has worked with such teams like KPMG, GE, Hallmark, AT&T, Direct Energy, Bell, the Royal Bank of Canada, and Rogers. Recently, I had a chance to listen to one of the clips from one of her weekly trainings that she hosts on Facebook called Selling with Science and Soul. And wow, you can definitely tell and get a sense of how caring and genuine she is with her approach. Somewhere in the description box, my team will be sharing a link where you're able to sign up for those weekly trainings. So we highly suggest you do so. Without any more delay, let's go ahead and bring Perry Sean on and stand by for a quick message
1: from West Bay's. Before I bring on today's guest, if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to subscribe and hit that notification bell so you never miss the fire content we're bringing you every week. If you're listening from your favorite podcast platform, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review letting us know how you're enjoying the show. And as always, follow us on Instagram at The Win-Win Effect to stay updated on upcoming shows and get exclusive behind-the-scenes footage. And lastly, fill out the feedback form and letting us know how you enjoyed our guest today and which guests you would like to see in the future. Now, without further ado, let's get back to the show. I'd like to welcome Perry Sean to the show. Perry, welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited for the show. I know we just had a, like a brief little conversation before we hit record, and
0: and learning how to hit record in this virtual world and digital world we're living with the Stone Age brain. But there's a you know a lot of different reasons on why we wanted to really have you on a show. And I had to remind myself earlier. I was going through some notes and, and learning a little bit more in depth about you, so that way we're at least prepared. But we try to make this podcast episodes and people coming on our show as authentic as possible and not scripted because it makes more of an impact with our listeners and our audience. But thank you so much for making the time to come on our show.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: A couple of different reasons why I really wanted to have you on. There's only a handful of people that I believe in this world actually understand the neuroscience and, and how to apply it with the sales side. And you know, Dr. D. Martinez went to one of his events years ago and I really enjoyed his keynote and I really enjoyed his speech and it really resonated with myself because I've studied so much on, especially in the last, probably, you know, it's been close to what, 15 years on the science behind sales and why it's so important and leading with yourself and, and trying to make sure that you're always going to put the student or client or customer in the best situation possible. It's always in their best interest. I mean, it goes with what we teach here, obviously with the win-win effect Just everyone's got to win. We're all going to eat. But are you the right fit for the program? For the most part, for most people that don't know, you know, much about you and obviously what you've done so much in, in your career, how would you best describe yourself to someone that maybe potentially doesn't know what you do for a living?
2: Oh, that's a um, great question. Um, I'm a weird combination between science and soul and performance. Okay. So I, I love um, knowing why things work and getting down to the nitty gritty of that. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in the human dynamic and the spiritual side of things at the same okay. time, but I also want it to be something that will help someone do better. Cause I originally started off as a high school
0: teacher. Coming from the education field. And that's something we share. I wasn't a teacher, but I was enrolling students into like trade schools in America. I know they have mm-hmm. those in Canada, right? So, yes. Yes. and with, they're coming for a very specific trade or trying to, maybe eliminate the four-year college and they're mm-hmm. coming from maybe surgical technology, medical assisting or something, that type of nature, but it takes a real skilled person to sit down with them and understanding, maybe just being empathetic, but putting mm-hmm. yourself in their shoes on how can I make an impact with them? And are you qualified for this type of program? And if so, what are you really, truly trying to accomplish overall? I mean, how much does that come into play with, you know, I guess with some of your questioning when you're very first meeting someone new?
2: When I'm meeting someone new, for, in a sales dynamic, yes. per se, in a sales dynamic, when I'm meeting them for the first time, I mean, first off, it's the genuine curiosity to know who they are and okay. to know what's going on in their world. Because obviously when I get a phone call or when we schedule a call in order to, to, have that, to talk, I'm, they're calling for a reason. I want to find mm. out what that reason is, but it's not just the reason. It's what is it that's behind that? Because we, we buy an emotion justified by logic is what the mm-hmm. neuroscience tells us. What's the emotion or what is the, the components that, that are driving that? that um, mm-hmm. is part of my responsibility to find out when I have that conversation.
0: I'm really happy that you went there first because a lot of people try to say, I'll get their attention and I do this and I talk about my company or I talk about like, no, nah, man, it's not I about know. you. It's not about you at all. It's about them. No. There's something. There's might be a major driving force that you know inside their world that day. They could have went to their, I don't know, inside their job and maybe been passed over in a promotion. And it really hurt their feelings, and they thought that they might have deserved that. And they have two kids that they need to make sure they're going to put through school in a private school, and tuition's coming up. Or it could be whatever the situation is. In order for me to be able to give you a recommendation and point you in the right direction. Yes. I need to know what's going on. And I love that you did that because I always try to, And I mean, Wes talks a lot about this. I try to put myself in that emotion when you hit that button, mm-hmm. requested information. What was your house? What does your house look like? I try yeah. to pretty much emerge myself in the world. Like, what are you wearing right now? Like, you know, I'm not trying to get weird, but like, what is it nine o'clock at night? I mean, what'd you have for dinner or what was, what's happening? you know, what kind of led you to this current situation you're in right now, is it a desperate situation? I mean, how serious are you to move forward? Can then also building value within yourself and saying, listen, I know I can help you. Yes. And that's a lot of people, they don't really try to communicate that well in the very first encounter. And I don't want to go like all the way into that in the very first beginning, but I guess that's probably perfect for our conversation is when you have that very first call, is it more about you just understanding the situation from hearing you say, and then leading them, appoint them in the right direction on how you best can serve them if it's within your scope of business and then maybe saying, okay, here's here's what I can do.
2: And and for me, it's, really, it's piggybacking on what you're sharing. It is that. And then to me, I, I'm looking for what are their personal and professional wins mm-hmm. for the, what they're looking for. So when I find out those two components, that helps to understand what's you know, driving them because what, what's the emotion behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm with you. If I'm not this, I'm not, I'm not driving them to me as a solution. I'm trying to find out what the issue is and what they actually need to get this shift in whatever it is that they're working on. Mm-hmm. And then I make sure I keep relationships with other experts so that who are good. <laughs> that if it's not, if I'm not a match, that I can refer them to somebody else.
1: Perian, just kind of touching on that. So like when you're, when you're starting that conversation or when you're first starting that relationship, just as yes. a whole, because we know a lot of us being able to tap into that emotion also comes nonverbal, right? It's just mm. the presence or the environment that we create for the person. What, I guess, how do, you, how do you go about the process of creating that environment where someone even feels comfortable to start becoming or starting the steps to becoming vulnerable with you?
2: Ah, great question. And, and actually, uh, it can also be done on the phone, which is really cool. So I mm-hmm. um, uh, tested it in, in multiple dynamics. And I've been very interested in the topic of trust. For over 20 years, I've been researching it uh, within organizations, different industries, et cetera. Because I think it's the key of earning trust from an individual. Once we've earned that, then they will share more with us. And um, I, I, when they start to share, one of the things, it's just a little tiny thing that I do, but I will respond with saying, Thank you so much for sharing that, for being That's transparent. Beautiful. You know, the more you share with me, the more helpful I'll be able to be. Uh, for you. And then that way they're going, Oh, okay. Then let me, let me share some more, more. but going back to the trust piece, which is what is it that we do as individuals to earn that trust? Uh, And what I've discovered is that there are actually 50 behaviors that someone can engage in to earn trust. But every single time I do the research, no matter what the industry, no matter what the organization, whether it's nonprofit, corporate, educational, whatever, back, whatever industry or um, our, um, type of a organization, the 90th percentile every single time is listen to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Listen to me. And that to me is the key factor of, of having them open up so that you're genuinely listening to what they have to say I was speaking with someone last week and they were saying, I know I'm a bulldozer. I really, really, you know, you're saying some great things, but I really want to say something right now, but I'm going to listen. <laughs> That's not <laughs> the kind of listening we're looking
0: at. A lot of people, they, they say that they have active listening skills, but they're only listening enough to be able to interject their program, product or service or good or whatever, yes. t-shirt, popsicle, or and they're trying to maybe just get their point across and maybe trying to, hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing And in order for you to be able to have them visualize the end result or the outcome in mind that what they're trying to accomplish, yeah. you need to ask these questions and people being heard is important. I mean, in any relationship, I don't care exactly. if it's yeah. a spouse or it could be your niece. I mean, they want to feel like they're getting their point across. Or they're trying to explain it properly. And it's, sometimes it's not what they're saying to me. It's what they're not saying is what I'm listening for. Yes. Like what's holding you back. I just asked you this question and I appreciate you sharing that with me. It does give me a little bit more of an idea on your thought process. However, I do have some follow-up questions. If you have some time for me to ask these, so then kind of gives me a little bit more of an idea on how I can best serve you. Do you have time for that? And they'll say, yes. Okay. Wow. He's listening. (laughs) Yes. Of course I'm listening. That's my job. Sales isn't talking. (laughs) It's all about listening.
2: And that's the biggest mistake organizations make when they hire people is that the interview process for most roles is about the person speaking. (laughs) And the same thing for sales. I interview them with a bunch of questions and get them talking and they think because they're great speakers that they're gonna be great listeners, Mm. not the case.
0: How do you respond to pressure? There's a lot of, that's one question I always try to ask people in an interviewing process. If I apply a lot of pressure, how do you typically respond? What's your behavioral patterns? And I look for these patterns. There's all these people in the world and all these different situations and all their experiences and what they're exposed to in life. And there are emotions tied into that story. So my job is to ask the questions of why they feel this way. Yes. Why? Sometimes they don't, no one's ever asked them that question. <laughs> and I love that about, you know, what I do for a living is one of my favorite parts of what I do for a living is when I'm having a conversation, I'm so much in their story and in their world. Mm-hmm. I'll ask that question and I'm like, Chris, no one's ever asked me that question. That's enough for me. You don't have to pay me any money. <laughs> that's enough for me. It lets me know that I'm doing my job. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming that that's very similar to your you know, methodology and obviously what you teach and what you do. I mean, it comes even coming from a high school teacher and that's where that you being empathetic and really wanting people to succeed. I think that's a beautiful thing and tying that in. I mean, have you spent time to kind of figure out what was some of your triggers that led you to doing what you're doing today?
2: Uh, it was. I got involved in this sort of, um, you know, the um, a reluctant, reluctantly, I guess, is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. I was a high school teacher. I was doing research. Um, I think this is something all all teachers would be wise to do. But uh, they call it a special type of teacher, which is an action researcher. So what mm-hmm. I was doing was finding out what caused students to perform better in the classroom. So I'm a regular high school teacher, but I just have just had this little lens of, right, yeah. how can we get the students to do better? And so they call that an action researcher. And they started giving me grants for my research. And it started to get some attention because the classes had an 80% overall class average, even with students with learning challenges. And um, so I ended up teaching teachers how to de- use this process that mm-hmm. I developed. And uh, I got to the point where I was teaching professors. And then uh, I ended up teaching at these large educational conferences. And at one of them, someone from the corporate world came up to me afterwards and says, you have no idea what you're sitting on. You've got to take this to corporate. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> I went like this. I cool, yeah, yeah. said, <laughs> no. And seeing myself as a career educator, he says, no, just, just one client, just one corporation. I, I said, no. And then anyway, he convinced me finally. I did it for one day a week for six weeks over a summer. And the end of the six weeks surprised me and surprised them, um, they doubled their sales. Yeah.
0: yeah. But what, what were and, some of the teachings? I mean, what are just some of the things that you went through to synopsis? I actually, no six weeks.
2: What I discovered in education is that if the teacher asks questions, the students perform better. Wow. And so, uh, with what I did was I taught the team how the sales team how to ask better questions, mm-hmm. and the leadership and the executive how to ask better questions, and mm-hmm. poof, all of a sudden results change. Mm-hmm. Now today we know why; back then we didn't, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it works uh, incredibly well. So right. that that is a fundamental core of, and now I know the neuroscience behind it.
0: But, and yeah. you learn and now you're knowing what you know now. I mean, you probably see how, why that was so impactful. And that's, and that's a good thing because that motivated you indirectly and then directly once you got on there and you learned a lot of things about yourself. But when you're, that's one of my favorite things to do in organizations is to teach people to ask better questions, but asking the deep penetrating questions that get to the core and the root of you know, the, the problem, the nucleus of the problem. Like, what's the problem? I don't know that. That's not the problem. You're focusing on the wrong things and keep asking questions. Yes. I just have a curious nature. You probably can tell that about myself. I'm, I don't know and get really get understanding. And if I feel that if I'm sensing that you're not telling me the whole story. I'm going to keep asking questions. I should have, my mom said I should have been a lawyer, but I, <laughs> again, I don't really don't want to be involved in legal, but me asking questions and me trying to get to the corner root, I, I'm, there's a lot of things I'm going to discover about myself and right. recording phone calls. I tell a bunch of people, like salespeople, like when I started recording my phone calls, Oh, that's Hopefully. my really limited impact. That even the subtle, me even asking the subtle questions or me not taking the time to say thank you like you let off with. Thank you so much for telling me that. That little pat on the back for certain personality types those, goes a long way. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to be, okay, now, yes, I'm going to teach you and I'm going to work with you and I'm going to help you get to the outcome you're looking for. But however, the outcome that you're looking for will actually will help you with some of these things that you need to agree like anchoring and work on yourself wouldn't you agree so if I'm able to teach you this throughout this process how much better do you think you'd be more equipped to be able to accomplish the things you want out of life yeah and that's something extra that people don't do mm-hmm. but me not recording my phone calls years ago I feel like I'm a dinosaur now but years ago <laughs> when I'm because I don't like to, I didn't like to hear my voice I'm like I don't I don't want to do that but can you tell our listeners of why it's so important to record your phone calls with when uh, you're having with your customers?
2: Well, first off, at the beginning, it's humbling, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> um, but to be able to hear yourself objectively, I mean, that's one of the things that, um, you know, organizations that are working on improving their results and, and taking it and fine-tuning and fine-tuning it, mm-hmm. it's the quality of our conversations yes. that make a difference, you know, that. Money is a byproduct of business. Mm-hmm. Business is a byproduct of relationship, and relationship is a byproduct of conversation. So the better our conversations, the better our business will be, and you know, byproduct will make more money. And it may not be as a result of them buying you in that conversation, but it's the reputation that you develop yes. that you have the best interest of people in mind. I I know quite often. If I feel like I'm not a match, I'll refer to somebody else. But oh, yeah. what happens, I had a call a couple of weeks ago. Somebody who I referred to somebody else last year called me to say, you know what? <laughs> you did such a great job. The person was awesome. Uh, make sure that the person you refer is awesome. Of course. Uh, More
0: obligation, yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh he said, look, now I'm ready to have the conversation with you because now I know I need your services. Oh, wow. Uh, and so to me, that's the kind of relationship we want mm-hmm. with people um, is to be able to improve the quality of our conversations, be focused in on them. It
0: goes a long way. I mean, the more good that you do and the more you give, the yeah. more that they, they feel that. I mean, I don't really have to, and I'm sure you feel the same way in what you do for a living. I don't really have to tell people who I am and what I do for a living. They usually feel that in a first encounter. Yeah. Are yes. the way I'm conducting myself. Yeah. I mean, Wes, how hard is that
1: to teach? Yeah, it's it's key because you have to, one, one thing that Perry said that's critical is that you have to be objective, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, it's that part where you have to be able to drop your ego, right? And be able to start being more authentic with yourself so that people can actually have the authentic you. And that's going to help you in turn, create better relationships as a byproduct because, now it's people are, are seeing the actual you. And so, and which is actually was a curious question I had for you, Perry, was because you mentioned that, hey, it's a humbling experience when you first start listening to recordings mm-hmm. and you have to be objective, right? Yes. And, and so for all the listeners out there who are curious about that, how does, how does one start to become objective instead of, you know, like I, it, it, I was the same way when I first started, I'm like, I don't want to hear myself because mm-hmm. I'm going to judge myself. Right. So how do I start thinking objectively um, when I'm actually listening into myself?
2: Yeah. Um, as you, several things. One is create some, a checklist based on what you want as markers within your conversations. Like for example, uh, what percentage of the time do you want to be listening? I not know uh what kind of um how long do you want to be speaking at a time you know i've the research that i've done not more than four sentences at a time i and in a in a conversation i and those four sentences not until you've asked a lot of questions to know what's going on in their world first and so have that checklist so that you can objectively say oh yeah i did it or i didn't do it or Mm -hmm. on a scale of one to ten i did it as a this time, I think I was maybe a five, six. And then as you listen, because it's all about improvement. Mm-hmm. We all can improve. It's not about, and that's, when you take a, a learning mindset with it, rather than a perfectionist mindset with mm-hmm. it, then we can continue to focus in on improvement. And sometimes having that sort of checklist of what our, our personal conversation goals are, are mm-hmm. really helpful. And in, in order to be able to listen to yourself objectively. Yeah. So it's essentially
1: knowing what it is, like the outcome that you're searching for yes. in order for you to actually then look at it objectively, because now you know where you're going or else mm-hmm. if you're not prepared, yes. you know, you're just at that point, you're just reacting yeah. to what you're hearing, but you don't really know where it's going. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Driving a conversation. I mean, it's hard for to drive to conversation if you don't have any type of
0: goals or, or boundaries for yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that a lot of times, and we, I guess we study the same type of stuff, is we're on three to four sentences, you want to be speaking and make sure that you're only speaking when you're getting enough information to be able to be more impactful with them and even provide a lot of value. And mm-hmm. sometimes when I'm asking questions, I'm, I try to paraphrase and repeat it back to them to make sure I fully understand. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to frame it and I'm going to frame the next piece for them to understand it zero surprise. And I'm not going to hit them with a, another question at the end of it. There's nothing more frustrating when you think about it also, you know, just for our customer for a second. No one likes to repeat themselves. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to them or even asked them all the questions you need to ask before you start framing and moving on to the next piece, they're going to feel like you, you haven't been listening to them and you're losing mm-hmm. so much. Yes. So much. A lot of people, uh, one of my favorite things to do is, and, and Wes knows this, is to listen back to phone calls and play it out for like an event or play it out for a whole team to hear It's a team building type of exercise but sometimes you have to make sure you're picking out the right one that wants to be recorded and it wants to have and show their talents but i like i'll stop the recording and i'm like here's where i would have went with the conversation let's, let's see where you went mm-hmm. do you see why that was you know you didn't do xyz and then that's, that actually makes more of an impact with teams. And I know you do a lot of leadership kind of courses. Are those some of the types of things that you try to teach them as well?
2: Yes, and uh, to me, it's dynamically, and I, actually what you've just described is scenario-based learning, right? Where you give them a certain portion of the conversation and then they choose, what, sort of like the choose your own adventure book. Um, to me, doing those kinds of exercises with people is really, really helpful. Because I, I also like to make teams in a group so that they can yeah. debate, you know, i go this way, no, I'd go that way. And so that, and then hear the logic behind the reason why they would go either way, mm-hmm. because there is no one right way. There, different things are more effective depending on who you're speaking with and where the conversation goes. But for sure, I'm totally with you.
0: How I many does, I'm, I'm just now in my mind I'm gonna go nuts with being curious the different personality types, is that something that you've, I am assuming that you've really spent a lot of time on and trying to explain to people like, Look, the things that I'm going to explain to a driver, isn't the same things that I'm going to try to make an impact with someone's amiable, you know, the expressive type of personalities.
2: I believe that we are all individuals. Mm-hmm. And so that yes. every single conversation is different. Wow. And Good. so, and therefore, because we each have individual values mm-hmm. that are driving our behaviors we have personal wins professional wins we have a whole whole um, a large plethora of of things that are affecting our decision making so therefore my job is to as i ask the questions because what's really neat about the research is that the individuals have already made the decision they're just not conscious mm-hmm. of it and so oh, i all I need to do is just ask the questions for them to become more conscious of it. Mm-hmm. And then that brings it to the surface. Um, so I, I don't actually at this point use different personalities in mm-hmm. terms, of, but I have the perspective that everyone is different and it mm-hmm. depends on who they are and that you, you meet them where they are. It's, it's like, because it, they've already made the decision consciously or the majority of their decision consciously, unconsciously, Sorry they've already been on a journey. My job is to join them in the journey where they are now and help them with the remainder of that decision, yes. the rest of that journey. And so my job is to find out, oh, what got you here? You know, yeah. how, how, how did you get to this point? You know? well, well, and, what
0: can um, I use you for? You know, like,
2: <laughs> what's and, and, and it's going true. On,
0: you you know? Know? I'm happy that you said that because it's kind of like you jumping on board their train yeah. In their journey is saying, okay, I don't know where the hell you are going, but I can help you, you know, but I need to ask these questions first before we take another step. Yes. Because it might be the wrong step. When people sign up for programs, I look for it as a cry for help. I, that's how I view it. They're literally crying for help. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for someone like us to help them and guide them in their journey. They already made a decision. They're going to move forward. They this just is a need question. To- Exactly. You just need to ask the right questions for them to go, okay, yes, this does make sense. And this is what I want because yeah. I had a conversation with Perry yeah. and yes. And she has, you know, listen to me and listen to all my deep and darkest fears and people sometimes they'll tell me the craziest stuff. And, and Wes included, I mean, we had a conversation West, I think it was two weeks back. I'll get on a call with someone. I'll ask two or three questions and the positioning so high they'll just like information unload and just dump everything on me. And they'll yeah. tell me things that they haven't even told another breathing human soul that's <laughs> wonderful I, I love it i love congratulations
2: that. that tells me what a great listener you are
0: <laughs> you know, i try i mean it's, when it comes to your your personal life and business life but i've learned you know in the last probably eight to you know eight months to 12 months you need to merge both together to become completely whole i mean when you're i mean with you teaching like vps and you coaching those types of executives and companies and corporations and all the great work you've done and you've read you know written books you know best-selling authors type of things like when in your journey, and I'm just trying to jump in your cart for a second, in your path. Sure. What were some pivotal moments for you to kind of get you to where you are right now? And you identifying those, why were they so impactful for you to make the right decisions on where you are?
2: Oh, that's a big question. Um, pivotal moments for me. I And, and, and it, the interesting thing is they're all inside things. I you know they're okay. there. I remember the day when I... F- went to coach my first senior executive in a large corporation, one of the largest mm. banks. And uh, as I'm pushing the button to go up to the executive level, okay, top of the building, I can feel my heart, <laughs> you know, okay. it's, it's, it's pounding a little bit more than normal. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, great, you know, here, here because I'm, I'm a believer that our presence when we're working with people has that allows us to be more focused in on them. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm feeling this, I'm going, Oh, great. I'm focused in on me. So what's going on?
0: Something so so you're offline somehow.
2: Yeah. I'm not centered. And I'm, you know, hearing myself say to myself, who are you to be doing this?
0: (laughs) Mm, (laughs) And,
2: And I'm like, Oh, great. And I'm, you know, I'm seeing the numbers on the elevator go up. And then one of the things my father taught me was sometimes when we say things to ourselves, we just need to shift the way in which we say it to ourselves.
0: Oh, wow. it's powerful.
2: And so instead of saying, who am I to be doing this? Instead, who am I to be doing this? Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to count in my head oh, because of this and because of that and because of this and because of that. And I, I realized that day, I, I, finally, I got, to, thank, thank goodness it was a tall building. Um, I
0: was about to say, I was like, this better been on like on the 98th floor. <laughs> <laughs> and, or you think as fast as I think because my mind just flying through.
2: And so I get to the reception area and I need to sit, you know, sit down until the exec comes out because you're escorted everywhere on these floors. Mm-hmm. And um, as I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, I, the realization for me was that uh, I, I, this concept of balance and how mm-hmm. important that is in life. And the, the recognition is where things are high in my values and my abilities and skills and talents, are generally gonna be things that are low in my client's abilities, skills, and talents. Right. And so their void is where I have the value. And the realization for me in that moment, which was earlier in my career, which was great, um, was that I'm not gonna be the answer for everyone, mm-hmm. but I'll be the perfect answer for those who have that void in the area of my strengths. Oh, wow. You know? and, and so, uh, and it doesn't matter who they are, whether they're, I mean, I speak for CEO groups. Today I was coaching a CEO uh, earlier Um, and it's just the awareness that we're just people. We just have different abilities and skills. And just to recognize that we're having this conversation, we're coaching or there's a teaching dynamic because there's something that I know that will help you get where you wanna go that isn't something that was one of your strengths originally. And that, that to me has been a big game changer for me and dynamic and also finding out, okay, which industries have don't have my strengths? And that's where right? my the clients a are. A lot right. of
0: industries and a lot of people don't understand this stuff. And, I, and yeah. me coming in contact with them now, and thank you so much for sharing that. I can actually like visualize you inside Elevator going, like, man, like, wh- why am I not asking the right question? I'm asking, my, I'm asking the wrong question and you sharing that about your data. And I think that's a beautiful yeah. thing because sometimes it's just all about reframing that question. Yeah. Like, I don't have to do what I have to do for a living. I get to do what I do for a living. I'm grateful for that because a mm-hmm. lot of people haven't gotten in, in this type of seat and having that type of journey. But then again, it goes back from my upbringing and all the things that I had to overcome and led me to here and me right. making the right decisions and choices, which obviously the neuroscience behind it and reprogramming your brain of, yes. In my mind, like I have no reason not to be great because I've all the things that I've had to overcome within my life, but those things happen for me to make the right decisions. And that's a whole shift right there. So thank you so much for sharing that. And you know, a lot of times, and yes, your presence, your presence means everything with the potential buyer company, yes. corporation, I don't care who it is, j- just like another person, I'll sit in front of a $5 million earner and have a conversation with the same amount of confidence and the same amount of tonality and the same questioning and the way that I'm framing things, but I'll talk to someone that has $0. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't matter to me because why I do what I do isn't the reasons what I'm doing with you and why I'm asking the questions. I'm going to ask these questions because I'm trying to see how can I help you? Mm, That's what it's yes. all about how can I help you? People don't sign up for a company or sign up for a business to sign up for it because they want to make money. It's never yeah. about money. People want to inc- increase their quality of life in some type of form or fashion. Your job is to d- identify what the heck that is. Yes. And sometimes they have no idea what it is. Exactly. <laughs> them, I think that's beautiful. And Quest, anything you want to add to that? That was really impactful for the listeners.
1: Yeah, wow. no, absolutely. I mean, It's, you know, that, that right there is absolutely key, which where it kind of takes the question of, you know, how do, how does someone start to reprogram their mind to be able to start seeing things from a different lens?
2: Oh, that's a great question too. Um, and I can wear different hats in terms of responding to that, but I think one is to first be aware. Uh, One is to be able to say, oh, (laughs) where'd that thought come from, you know? And, and to acknowledge that that thought is there uh, mm. because sometimes we try to, you know, be bravado and uh, ignore it. Uh, to me, the first step in anything is the awareness first. Yeah. And then once you have the awareness, then part of it is, you know, I was, I was going down a slippery slope on that <laughs> as I pushed that button, you know, and I could feel my heart racing. Um, but that's the other key too. Your body will often give you away first that yeah. there's something going on. And so that's another thing for awareness. The
0: heartbeat, the heartbeat. The heartbeat, or if
2: you're sweating a little bit more than usual, or your hands feel a little clammy, something's going on. And so just sort of tap in to feel what that is. And then to me, I I mean, in that that, um, situation, it was, I was going in the negative direction. And then I started working on balancing my perceptions by going in the positive Mm. direction. And so same thing, if you feel yourself going down that slippery slope of you know, spiraling in, in, a, in a negative direction, pull it back with focusing on that other side is a great way in which to train the mind. Uh, the other is, I, I don't know where you are at with uh, affirmations, but yes. I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that depending on what, like for example, as a child, I had problems speaking. And so as a result, if you put me in my younger years, it, now I love it uh, because mm-hmm. I get to help people, but um, if you put me in a situation where I had to speak publicly, I would have all those physical signs that we were yep. just chatting about. When I made the shift from being a high school teacher, which I didn't get, I was teaching, that's different. I wouldn't get that reaction. Right. But the day in which I became a professional speaker, I would start to have that reaction. And I started to say, all right, what am I gonna to say to myself before I go out there to present, uh, whether it's a keynote on a main stage or whether it's in a um, you know, corporate offices or, or whatever mm-hmm. the situation is. And I realized, because we really just build on the past, okay? Yes, we do. And when 100%. we master the past and don't have a reaction, then we can piggyback on that. So what I did, and it, it's a, a thing that I would do during that phase where I was still finding that I would have a reaction, I would say to myself, welcome to my classroom. And your brain is mine. And then I would be fine because <laughs> I, like I put myself into the classroom. Yeah, dynamic. It's
0: like an It's an indication. You just put yourself there in that moment. It's like, how much is that imagery technique? And I'm going to let you finish, but that's the imagery technique. You're putting yourself there in that moment right. and really emerging. Is like, what does the room feel like? Is it hot? Is it clammy? Is it like, what am I wearing? What's the smell? Is yeah. it mildew? <laughs> like, whatever. I don't know. Right. I mean, like, what are the looks on the people's faces when I have, but it's just as much as you just perfecting that introduction. Yes, And nailing that. And then from there, that's this next step. But yeah, yeah. go look, finish, please. That's beautiful.
2: Because yeah. for me, the classroom was my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And where I felt, you know, let me into a classroom. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a, you know, happy as a clam, right? Mm-hmm. And so to me, by engaging that part of me that was so familiar with that, as I walked in to do something that was uncomfortable allowed me to do that much better. So I think part, cause we do it to ourselves. That's the thing.
0: Yeah, always, <laughs> and, always inside your own head.
2: It's in your own head. It's not, I don't know. On the, I, how often I've seen hundreds of presentations, uh, help give feedback on hundreds of presentations as well. And They'll be so nervous and they'll have so many things going on. And every the feedback that the group may say to them is, Oh, you look like such a natural, yeah,
0: it's, <laughs> like it's but you've been nervous. dying, and you're like, You'll just sit in there and you give a presentation, like you black out. <laughs> <laughs> when I very first started speaking in front of a lot of people, I felt like I would just like black out, yeah. like when I was on stage and I had no idea what I just said. But then they're like, wow, you were so amazing. I'm like, I don't know how they didn't boo me, you know, like <laughs> off the stage. And I'm like felt like a stick figure, but just you're in your own head. Yeah. Like completely. And I think that's great at what you do. I'm not really much as a you know an affirmation, like right before. The affirmations start way before then on like oh, yes. anybody Those I too. speak with. Yeah. Like anybody I speak with, I'm gonna leave them with a positive outlook and I'm gonna leave them with a, a certain emotion because I'm always wanna leave people with a positive emotion. Even if things don't work out between us during that time, they're going to know at least I had their best interests at heart. That's yes. what means the, more, the most to me because it, comes, it goes with my core values on mm-hmm. what I like firmly believe. And, and a lot of things, especially understanding you know, neuroscience and how the human brain works, you can use this to potentially ruin someone's life. Mm. You, because you know how the human brain works you can it's a, a certain way of manipulate it in a negative term a lot of people use the word manipulate and they think it's a bad word because a lot of 98 percent of the world use it to hurt people or put people just get what they want but manipulate yeah. is not a bad word you just have to be able to use it in the right way and have the right intentions behind it can you spread some I, of your knowledge on that and it may be just Maybe explain it a little bit better for the listeners to understand it. That manipulate word word isn't a bad word if you're using it in the right way.
2: And that's part of what I do in my my programs before I teach them about the neuroscience and how it works in a conversation. Mm -hmm. I I get them all to raise their hands and repeat after me. And I get them to say, I I solemnly swear to sell with the purest of intent. Because if we have our client's best interest in mind, and you know, piggybacking on what you've shared and we manipulate them to get what they want is that, I, I mean, I typically don't use it. To me, it's helping them with the decision that they've already made is yes. where it's at. Because mm-hmm. um, to, to me, they've already made the decision. We're just helping them get to where they want to be. And maybe mm-hmm. us, maybe someone else we'll see as right. we have the conversation.
1: Um, I think uh, you know, one thing that people struggle with is and I in the past way past I struggled with myself is that there's a under sometimes there's an underlying guilt behind influencing like a client to get to a certain outcome right and there's and it usually comes back to someone's own limiting beliefs Um, like with the people that you train I know that you have a Facebook group as well you know where you're also training a lot of people how much does that kind of self-development and reflection on yourself come into play when it, you know, when it comes to this?
2: Yes, to me, it's uh, a great question. In terms of uh, dynamic, we're, how do we put it? We have culturally, and we also have, I mean, if someone goes to school and then decides to be a salesperson, the parents usually aren't proud. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Uh, or, or I, I mean, I've experienced this. You know, when I was a high school teacher, I'd go to social events, people would meet me and they'd lean in. Now they find out that I'm in the world of, you know, sales education, sales training, they sort of go oh, I don't like this. Yes. So we have this negative perception that we internally all have. And I think part of it is the guilt comes from somewhere in our past, we've done something that is an unfair exchange. Right. And so therefore, then we are uncomfortable with it. I, I sort of define things as the difference between traditional selling and true selling. And true selling, Goes with the neuroscience, traditional sales is those techniques that we've used in the Mm -hmm. the past. Do they work? Yes, but they call us buyers' remorse. Whereas the true sales, which is based on the way people actually buy, because traditionally selling has not been about the buying process, it's been about the process to, you know, someone to buy slam dunk a clothes, right? Right. And Mm -hmm. so if we change that perspective, uh, then we remove some of that aspect, but the guilt you're talking about, Wes, is, is alive and well, and I think it's because of, from what I've seen and the people that I've worked with, I, it's about doing, that they've done something in the past that wasn't in fair exchange, Mm -hmm. and they hold the guilt around that so they don't wanna go into that direction. Once they examine, this is what I've discovered, is that when they examine that situation and find out where there was actually fair exchange in the dynamic, then that frees them up to engage in conversations in a way in which allows them to be present. Because if they are holding that guilt, they have a real difficult time being present to someone in a sales conference.
1: Absolutely. Yeah how how much does that methodology impact leaders cuz i know you do you work with a lot of leaders how does that same like school of thought and that same belief system impact them
2: <laughs> big <laughs> huge why because in a leadership dynamic you have You know, team members are going to perform well, team members who aren't going to do so well. There's going to be issues that come up at different times. And as a result, a leader will get emotionally engaged. I mean, COVID has been a perfect opportunity for everybody to have all those emotional paths brought to the surface. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the neuroscience teaches us is that, you know, we talk about money being compounded, emotions are compounded too. So, meaning that. I'm in this moment right now, and in this moment, I'm getting emotionally engaged for some reason or other. Well, it's not only that moment that I'm reacting to, it's triggering the past event before that, and the event before that, and the event before that. It's never, you know, that- Compound effect. Compound effect of emotion. So you're feeling it more intensely than it actually is in the moment. Mm And so as a leader, you recognizing that's what's happening to you so that you can respond more appropriately rather than react is mm-hmm. an ideal thing to look at and to do a your lot personal of people,
0: work around. A lot of people, and especially in a leadership role, I would say in a leadership role, and I'm using the word leadership loosely here because a lot of people maybe potentially have been a top performer before and the company wants to reward the ones that do well and they want to hire within and promote their, you know, top performing reps. And I see this a lot in sales. So much more, actually more in sales than I do in any other department because they don't know what to do with them. You know, Mm -hmm. when they hit a certain level, how do we keep them motivated? How do we keep them energized? How can they share more? But it's not about how great you are at what you do. It's how great can you teach what you Mm -hmm. do and why you do what you do and certain ways that you frame questioning. I meet so many people now you know, me going, you know, going into, you know, um, you know, doing internationally sales and me coming back to the industry and trade schools and me coming and working with the corporations and the VPs and whatnot. That's the hardest spot for me is I don't want to, because other consulting, I'm consulting within their corporation. It's not my job to hire and fire and tell people they're not doing their job. I have to do that with the VP and I'm sure that you do something very similar. Mm -hmm. But when I'm looking at the, you know, manager's, I say managers until they get, you know, they, I guess you would say, get my approval that you're actually a leader. You, when you're reactive in any type of situation, it's not going to be good.
2: No, I'm it's not going
0: to be good at all. What is your first way of being able to communicate that to a, an executive or a VP? If you see one of their uh, managers in this situation, will leadership in a leadership role or not actually being a leader?
2: One of the things that I do first uh, before I start a, a program per se mm-hmm. is I've designed multiple 180s okay. that will specifically get at information so that the team, and it's all anonymous so that they know they can share whatever they wish. That's good. And they're designed in a way not about their opinion of the leader. Cause I think that's a very different thing than mm-hmm. the behaviors of the leader. And right. so to look at what specific behaviors they are and aren't engaging in so that then we have a sort of a guideline to help us with what goals to work on. You know, these are the things you're doing well. These are the things that you could be working on so that we're continually stay focused in on that learning aspect. Are they going to be able to step into that and learn or not? That's an uh, important
0: question. Are they able to right. do, you know what I mean? That, that's a really important question. Uh, Why is that important question as much as everything else that you're talking about right now? I think that's probably the most important question.
2: Yes. Because what got them to, to be a top performer beforehand, before they became in a management role is not what's going to make them that great leader. And so if often what helps a, a top performer get where they are is that they're a good learner. If that's what they engage when they go into management, that's great. But if they go into management thinking that they're going to tell everybody what to do and to do it their way, mm-hmm. then we have a problem because then You're they're not working in. on the growth of the organization. Uh, instead, they're looking at, you know, here's, here's the, the formula well, that was the formula for you. <laughs> um, everybody <laughs> right. learns differently; they have different values, etc. We need to find out what the formula is for each individual on the team to help them perform at their best.
0: Right. I, I love what you said there, and maybe I have a little head start when I went into kind of corporate America, and. On the leadership way because I'm, I'm prior military and me mm-hmm. learning awesome. from some of the major leaders, you know, like that's some huge leadership qualities. It isn't like, hey, we don't hit our number or hit our quota this in a month, someone dies, you know. So, I, and I'm not trying to get like crazy conversation, but seriously, I mean, you got to train the yeah. next one up. And I and Wes knows this, and you know, we come and experience it. And I've run my Sometimes, not in the same like, you know, bootstrapper, or me being mean to someone. It's not that. It's just I know the qualities that I look for within a leader. And yeah. sometimes it's not the top performer. It's no. the person on the team that has the most influence. Yes. For them to be able to explain it in a certain way. I mean, a lot of leaders, when they become a leader, they have an uncanny ability to be able to explain things to the staff, that the whole world behind and you know, are shielding. The whole world. Maybe it comes from corporate. Maybe it comes from <laughs> their their supervisors. I never ha- want to have someone in the corporations come and yell at my staff. That's my job. I'll yes. handle it. Want to communicate with them? You communicate through me, and I'll communicate it in a certain way. It's actually going to motivate, not demotivate my staff. Yes, people would see that, and I'm very protective when it comes to like the people that were underneath me, I guess you would say, but I don't look at yeah. them as underneath me as they're working with me in a common goal, like one heartbeat, one mission, one outcome. That's right. success in my opinion. And I, I've always said that, that's more of an affirmation for myself because it keeps me aligned on who I am as a person and what I'm trying to overall accomplish. Right. Like we, we didn't hit a start and a lot of, I know that you, you speak a lot about, you know, growing your business, you know, in a downturn and then the keys of the business mindset in a downturn. Well, that's where people consult and they ask us for our help is when things aren't going well, <laughs> like what's happening. I mean, they want me to be Mr. Fix it, but it takes time to yeah. maybe potentially have the right culture or have the right message and have that to aligning those processes within a process to make things work. Because CEOs, as we all know, when they're in a downturn and they're losing money, they want it fast. But You don't understand what I do. <laughs> And there's a reason there's a certain science behind what makes my method so effective. Mm-hmm. But you've got to give me time and get off my back. So I guess, can you expand a little bit more of your knowledge on, the, you know, how to grow your business in a downturn when they actually ask us to consult or maybe it's you know, obviously, I, I believe it starts with the mindset first and actually understanding what's, how are they getting in the way of their own sales?
2: And and actually, in many ways, an organization prepares themselves for a downturn in the marketplace before it actually happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Meaning
2: that they're they've got the relationship with their clients, so that when a downturn happens, that that they can you know focus in on those relationships and those those dynamics. Um, there's multiple ways to go about it, but. I think first off is that conversation. So you have a strong relationship with the client, they're gonna pick up the phone to have the conversation with you in a downturn and they just have the conversation, find out what's going on in their world. That to me, number one thing to do when you start so that you know where things are at. Mm-hmm. Uh, diversifying according to what's going on for sure. But as you listen to your clients, I had, I had a, um, a president of an organization who done a lot of work with and, he had a perception that there was something going on in the marketplace, but Mm. he knew that if, if he was hearing it in the trade publications, it would be too late. So uh, because I, I teach this thing of, of that your sales team has a great pulse on your business because they're Mm. speaking to clients real time. What gets into the trade or the industry uh, publications is after the fact, the team will have Mm. it a lot earlier. And so we were having a conversation. He said, I think this is happening in the marketplace. Uh, I want you to train my team on how to ask more effective questions. Mm -hmm. And this was during a downturn in the marketplace, in their industry. And uh, I said, all right. And this was just before the last quarter, all right? And uh, of their fiscal year. And um, we, One week we did the training for anybody who was client facing to be able to ask uh, the questions particularly in this Mm -hmm. arena and then for the management to be able to filter that information up to the president okay Mm. so that the leadership can have a discussion on what to do with it well within a week so week training week we found out what was going on and then within another couple of weeks they had something created they could respond quickly i love this organization for that reason and um it's a corporation and long story short they put on a significant i mean majorly significant because they created a product that addressed the needs of what was going on in that moment and this was in a downturn that they actually increased wow. in a major way because they were asking the questions to find out if something you know that they had a sense might be going on but they found out about it be before anybody else did in their industry following year they won product of the year mm-hmm. for that specific product and again it got more coverage to, because of, of that winning the award which also caused their sales to go up even more so part of part of it is that ear to the ground with clients is Pivotal, uh, mm-hmm. so that you can. There's that word pivot, uh, but <laughs> so that you can be responsive to the needs of your client base. Because your current clients are your sweet spot for getting the business. Yes, you can go get new business. That takes more time. Going to your current clients take, but
1: that's
0: takes increasing less time. It. And yeah. when
2: the CEO wants that, you know, the results quickly.
0: And very something similar to what you did to make a huge impact. And congratulations on that for them. And I'm sure you got a bunch of praise for that of just asking the right questions. Sometimes it's just very simple. Yeah. I mean, very simple way of going about the framework on asking the right questions and making an impact. But yeah. everything that I teach, I'm customer centric. Yes. I want to put myself in their shoes. And the only way to grow your organization is to figure out who your clients are. And who your customers are and how can I increase their experience? And sometimes it's just running a promotion. Hey, I'm going to get on a call with these types of buyers or those types of buyers. And I'm going to talk about the sales process. Let's talk about your journey. Let's talk about some of the buying decisions. What were some of your decisions? What made you want to do this? I don't care. I don't need to know the names of the people. It's irrelevant. And I'm not trying to minimize them or they're not important. They are important. But what I'm trying to figure out is... How can we improve the overall customer experience mm-hmm. and turn them into a lifelong client? And that's how it's done. Yes. And yeah. asking and being comfortable enough to deal with all the noise. When you have those types of calls, I've been on calls with a lot of customers and they're just, it's like a, a way for them to event. I'm like, listen, I'm not a therapist. I'm here to figure out how I can help. And where I can help. So let me, if you can do me a favor before the meeting or after the meeting, tell me your story, write it on a piece of paper or put it in the email. So that way I don't have to read the whole thing. I can get to what I need to make more of an impact with the company. But I think that's very, not just impactful with you know your company's corporations, but it can come across in a long way of them being adaptable to change and being in tune with their own self and what they're really trying to get across in their message, what mm-hmm. they're and even a product service are good. I mean, sometimes if you're really aligned with the customer and you're, and you understand exactly what they're going through, you're, I'm able to now build a whole new program just to fix that one problem. Yes. Yeah. Like what, if, what if you don't, don't have this program or this product? What if you break it out in three different programs that actually help the customer's needs more? And that's more of an upsell for them to go into the overall program. And they're like, Oh, I didn't think about it that way. I'm like, I know that's what you invested in for me. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> just one slight but significant change can make you a huge difference. Huge, in the especially
0: over time. And yeah. I know that you know with the books, and I know that pretty much I looked up and, and realized what time it was. And no matter how much you know your time you have on your hands, but you know I want to keep going over. If you had to give advice to anybody starting out new in sales. And let's even, not even talk about neuroscience just for a second if you want to go yeah. there. But what advice would you give someone that is, maybe is handed a script? You know these companies. Hand <laughs> you a script, you make a dial. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh,
2: throw the script out. That would be my way. advice. Thank you.
0: Thank you for that, by the way. It kind of goes with everything that I teach. I'm like, throw your script. For, and I've I'm actually done this in companies and corporations. Walk <laughs> into that walk-in and be like, okay. Hand me all the scripts and put them all on your desk. And they'll sometimes hand me three to four different ones. I'm like, what the freak is going on? Rip them up. And they do that. I'm like, I'm going to teach you how to have a normal conversation. Who's ready? Right. And then that's it. It's over. It's game time after that. But yeah. what advice would you give someone starting out brand new? So that way they don't run into the same type of potential problems that these old traditional sales techniques, which completely will work, yeah. but will increase buyer remorse. But what advice would you give someone starting out brand new in sales?
2: First and foremost, engage your genuine curiosity uh, because that's where you will have the most incredible questions come from. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, I I know that sounds so simple, but here's the thing, the simplest things are the one that that get executed. Start your conversations with where the person found out about you. If they're reaching out to Mm -hmm. you, connect it to that. So if it's a referral, you know, what was it that, Fred said that caused you to reach out because then you start the conversation with what's important to them. Yeah. Because if you Mm -hmm. start the conversation with what's important to you, it's a slippery slope. You've already started in the wrong direction. Yeah. Then
0: you're going to start product pushing.
2: Yeah. Start off with what's important to them, and that will allow you because your questions are the GPS to your conversation. Mm. and as you ask the questions, you will navigate it together. How you're going to get there, to, you can get to the same destination. There's multiple ways to get there, and part of it is your questions will help navigate that in the most effective and efficient way.
0: Thank you so much for that. And Wes, I'm going to throw this question to you to kind of go with this, and this kind of goes with a lot of things that we teach, and a lot of people focus on the wrong problems. And it's talked a lot. I mean, we kind of started, I don't know if we hit record yet on this and talked a lot about objections. I don't deal with objections. We don't have to because we jump way ahead of them. And it's not the objection in the first place. But how much is smoke and mirrors, Wes, and and that we deal with with these companies, that the salespeople are focusing on the wrong things where they all they should be focusing on is that connection with their customer?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, if you can ever say 100% of the time for anything, this would probably be as close as you can get Mm -hmm. to it because of the fact that, people are taught to focus on the wrong things because they're focused on their end result, not the client's end result. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that's one of the biggest things is how do you shift your, I mean, if your your first focus should be, how can I put my customer in a position to win? Right. And if that's your main objective, then questions become more natural, Mm -hmm. right? The conversation becomes more natural, but if you feel like you have to, that's why I hate scripts. I'm so glad you said that because if you have to try. I was like, oh, we're yeah, friends. Yeah, I'm like, I love that. I'm like, but if you have to try so hard to have a conversation with someone because you keep thinking about your end result, don't get me wrong. You should always have an outcome in mind for that call. All of those things should be in place, but it should never just be your benefit. It should be to how can I put my customer in a better position than what it was when they first yeah. came on with me. And the, one, the biggest thing that I try to do is, is give them clarity. That's always the objection, objective of my first call is how much clarity can I give this person so that they just feel like they're, uh, they're going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And now we can start really building a relationship from yes. there and, and get to the outcome together.
0: Yeah.
1: It's repetitive. The touch points are repetitive. I mean, no
0: matter what you do, and even all, it doesn't matter how long your sales process is and how many touch points you have, if you keep doing the same things with them and you keep putting them in that type of positive emotion, no matter what it is, they're going to be more inclined to listening to you and hearing you out mm-hmm. because they know that you have the right intention in mind for them overall yeah. a lot of people they go and work with the next process or they'll go i want to talk to that bald guy with the guy with a beard i want to talk to him again <laughs> because they felt because they they felt that i listened to what the problem was and and how they felt and why they felt a certain way and realigning that piece and they're like all they wanted to do, Chris, is talk about the, the, the 50K or 100K program. <laughs> that's all they wanted to tell me. Like, well, I'm working with the company on this. Just give me some time. I don't normally take these calls with customers. I'm just trying to get more of an idea on how I can best serve the company, which obviously will roll down and best, you know, serve the community and best serve, you know, their students and customers. But I think that's a beautiful thing. And I, I know that this is a lot of information for, for, for a lot of people that maybe don't understand how much you're controlled by that thing inside of your head, and then and that brain. Right? <laughs> like, well, my dad used to make a joke, and it's like, if you shake your head fast enough, it's gonna be like a spray can. You know what I mean? Like, but, but when you, once you kind of understand what you're dealing with, and especially with the working with people that are behavioral patterns or looking for maybe some of the things that they do and self-destruct. There's there's so many patterns, right? But I love that what you said. If I can take away anything from this conversation, that every single person on this planet is unique and special and different. Yeah, I love that because I feel that, and I and and that kind of goes with everything that teachers like, Chris, walk me through your pitch. I'm like, ah, like I don't pitch people, I don't have to. Like, what is wrong with you? You're focusing on the wrong thing. Sometimes I don't give it a time of day and not even respond. I think that's sometimes the best response for me <laughs> because i don't i'll say some things about them but i guess for the most part i guess where can our you know audience find more about you and i would love to have you come back on and we can talk maybe a little bit more about a very specific topic because i think you can bring a lot to the audience and feel free to bring us on anything that you guys want to do and the Great. your facebook you. groups. i'd love to come and speak and just shine a light on some things but for for the most part i know you have your facebook group and different things. Is that the easiest way for our listeners to come and find you?
2: Yes. The easiest two ways I think are the easiest one is Mm -hmm. through LinkedIn. Obviously most people are very Mm -hmm. familiar with that and comfortable. Uh, And the other is through uh, the Facebook group, which is called selling with science and soul. And Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we bring in the human dynamic, and the science together and help people with growing their businesses with
0: that. Um, I'll make sure that our, you know, media staff puts the links in inside of description chats and, and whatnot. If you're listening to this, you'll see it somewhere close. I promise you, <laughs> um, i highly suggest you come in and, you know, definitely reach out to Perry. She's got a lot of knowledge. I know that we just kind of scratched the surface, but I feel that, you know, we we've asked a lot of good questions for people to kind of have an understanding on what we're talking about and why it's important. And if you're new to this, good for you. You don't have bad habits, but if you have been in the industry for 20 years and maybe you're crapped on some of the things that we said today, well, there's a good chance you're always going to be working for someone that that actually understands the emotional intelligence piece when it comes to pertaining to sales. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Job security. I mean, Wes, anything you would like to add and sprinkle some of your knowledge on explaining why this episode is so impactful for listeners?
1: yeah absolutely, and first Perry, thank you so much for being on. I mean it's it's been a, a great thank pleasure you. having you here, and we're definitely blessed to have you. And so I really think the biggest thing is um, one, go and follow Perry. I mean, there's so much to learn, and it's really when you start when you start diving into this subject, it brings up a whole new way of looking at things, mm-hmm. a whole new way of life. It's not about sales, it's not just about sales. it's not just about leadership. It's a way of life and who you are mm-hmm. and and all of this trickles down to every part of your life. And so it doesn't matter who you are. I think we're all leaders in our own right uh, or should be at least in one way or another. You know, make sure you go out, you follow Perry and uh, you know, follow that Facebook group. It's called Selling with Science and Soul. I love that. Uh, I think it's beautiful. It talks a lot about the essence of, of who you need to be um, in order to be the most effective with your clients. And so again, thank you so much for being here.
2: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Um, one last question before you go. And I've, I've been trying to force myself to make sure I ask this question with every person that blesses us with their presence. But anything, if you could give any last words for anybody listening to this, and maybe some things that we didn't touch on, what would you say to someone?
2: Hmm. In terms of last words, yeah. is to realize whether it's sales leadership or any dynamic really, it really is about your personal work and what's going on inside your head. Mm. And part of our responsibility in order to be present to those in our business and in our life is to do that personal work. And, awesome. uh, and I'm not doing woo-woo stuff. I'm just saying, you know, notice it and then balance it. I right. think that's you, the best thing right. you can do. I think do that's well
0: self. said. Because a lot of people that are not aware of actually what's happening because they're not in present, they're in past and they're in yes. the future and they're trying to work, trying to figure out, okay, navigating through these peaks and valleys and they have no idea the answer to all their problems is sitting right there in front of their face. <laughs> <laughs> I love working with people like that. I'm like, no, it's here. And they're like, oh, it's right there the whole time. I'm like, yes, you, everyone on this planet has everything that they need to be successful, already yeah. ingrained inside of you. Yes. It's your job to figure out that puzzle. And I'm here to help you at least point you in the right directions on the framework of the puzzle. Your job is to put it together, not yes. my job <laughs> figure it out. But thank you again. I really appreciate it. Okay. And if there's anything that you need from us, we're an open book. And we've been starting to do a lot of IG lives and other things. In the it. show. And I would love to have you on, or maybe we'll do something else, Wes. I mean, I think that there's so much there left unsaid and it kind of driving me nuts right now because- because there's so much there to have a conversation with. And this can go on for four hours, but this is the one of the first guests that I've actually really want to spend the extra couple hours with on going through every little detail on what what actually makes an impact in the marketplace today. All
2: right. Thank you. Thank you, Perry. Take care.
0: Bye. Bye -bye. Bye.